Welcome to Phoenix and Flame, pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. This podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. Welcome back to Phoenix and Flame. I'm Dana, and this is my podcast on pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. If you are a returning listener, thank you so much for continuing to listen to my episodes and uh, help us to build our Phoenix and Flame community. If you are a new listener, then I'm so glad you're here. Welcome aboard. I hope you will be able to find something in this episode that will help you as you build yourself into a healthier, stronger person. As I was thinking of different episodes to do, I found myself thinking of the, the behavior pattern of avoidance and how prevalent it is and how it impacts our lives. If you think about it, Uh, Most addictive behaviors are symptoms. They're not the cause. They're symptoms. And they're usually symptoms of avoidance. Because addictive behaviors, whether it's um, a substance, whether it's uh, excessive spending, whether it's sex, could be any number of things. These help people to avoid their unpleasant thoughts and emotions. That's actually one of the reasons why I think it's difficult for some people to get into therapy because they know that more than likely, if it's a good therapist anyway, they're not going to continue to be able to avoid, ignore, and evade different thoughts patterns and behaviors that are dysfunctional. But avoidance has become a way of life for them. It's kind of like, if you think about it, if you were, if you were sitting in a room with a pink elephant and you were trying to act like it wasn't there, that takes a lot of effort. <laughs> I mean, the, the easiest, most natural thing to do would be to gawk at it, to stare at it, to go up to it and try to touch it and to look all around and see, well, this is an interesting, um, unique object in this room. It's an elephant and it's pink. And I think our natural response is to investigate it. But when people are trying to avoid certain topics... They're trying to avoid some thought pattern that they have or some feeling that they have. It feels like they're sitting in a room with a pink elephant, but they are trying as hard as they can to act as if they're sitting in the room alone. And I did mention that it takes a lot of effort. If you can imagine having a a pie, and imagine that this pie is full of your emotional energy and 
you have so much energy to go around to deal with everything in your life. And some examples would be of, of pie slices would be, you know, just the everyday stuff you have to deal with. Take some small slices out. The energy and the focus that you have to allocate toward just routine things. But sometimes the routine things, they become sort of automatic, autopilot, and they take less emotional energy. So that slice becomes smaller. But when larger things happen, like if you're going through a divorce, if someone very close to you has passed away, if you, if you think you might be getting ready to be fired from your job, or maybe you have a very important friendship that seems to be in peril, then these take a larger slice of your emotional energy pie. And what happens is that you add several of these together and it takes more and more and more of your pie away. So you don't have as much left to use to deal with your normal life. That's one of the reasons why people are, that are going through uh, really harsh experiences, they have difficulty focusing. If you've experienced that yourself, and most of us have to one level or another, have uh, gone through something harsh or hard to deal with. And when you're going through that, your mind tends to want to wander toward that thing, or it's, it's just pulling at your emotional energy. And so you might find yourself making more mistakes at work. You might find yourself forgetting to call somebody back when you didn't really used to do that before. Um, you might find yourself um, just bursting into tears over something that before you might have found a bit sad, but not that not, you know, not that big of a deal. So you have this, this emotional energy pie and what happens when we actively avoid thoughts and feelings in our life, memories and things that we're trying to actively not think about, it takes a lot of energy. Like if I say to you, do not under any circumstances think about a pink elephant sitting in the room with you or walking next to you on your walk, automatically your mind goes right there and then you have to exert energy to push it away. So I thought we could talk this episode about our tendency to avoid and what that does to us and how it comes out in the end. So like I said a few minutes ago, as long as you are actively trying not to think about something, then you're going to be left with less emotional reserve to deal with everything else in your life. So it's better, not, not more pleasant in the, in the beginning necessarily, but it's better to be able to face things. So the question becomes, why are we putting a lot of effort into ignoring something or avoiding something? Because if we're doing that and we have a pattern of doing it, then there's got to be a why. Maybe we don't know how to face our own thoughts or emotions, let alone anyone else's. So we figuratively put our hands on our eyes and over our ears and we just act like the pink elephant is not there. 
when we just don't know how to face it. We don't know how to face ours. We don't know how to face somebody else's. And so then you have to start thinking about what are some of the long-term results of avoidance? Well, I can tell you right off the bat, and I don't have the research right on hand with me, but this kind of goes along with anxiety because if you are actively avoiding something, then your mind knows it's there. And the more energy you put into avoiding it, the more obvious it becomes. Just like if I, you know, if I would say, like I said earlier, absolutely do not think about a pink elephant next to you. Don't do it. Don't think about the pink elephant. Then you think about it more and more. The effort to not think about it brings it more and more to your mind. And so when you have these, these issues in your life, however unpleasant they may be, eventually you need to face them. Now, I know that we all have times where we feel like, like, I can imagine someone saying, Dana, look, I just, I can't. It's just too huge. It's too much pain. Uh, I cannot, I feel like if I look at this in the face, I'm going to be annihilated. I'm just going to be totally sucked under the bus and I'm going to fall apart and all my arms and legs are going to fall off and my teeth are going to fall out and my hair is going to fall out and I am not going to be able to live my life. And truthfully, emotionally, that's probably how it feels in a lot of situations. So although it's important to face these things, it doesn't mean you have to do it abruptly. It doesn't mean you have to do it all at once. And it doesn't mean you have to do it alone. So when I'm seeing patients and such, I'm very careful in watching and monitoring their emotional status um, to see how they're doing. So some different methods that have been used to face things that we frequently and, and historically have tried not to think about. And let me just take a little sidebar and say, if not thinking about something, if suppressing it and repressing it down into our subconscious worked, if it, if it just made it all go away like it never happened, that would be awesome. That would be super. And I would say, just do that, right? But unfortunately, in the vast majority of cases, this doesn't work. And like I said, the more effort you put into pushing it away and acting as if it's not there, the more there it becomes. So some things to think about of, of ways of kind of dealing with it would be possibly writing a letter to that person. Not that you're going to send it to them. I mean, I guess you could. It depends on the situation. Again, talk to your therapist. If the other person, if what you have is an issue with another individual and that person is alive and they are willing to have the conversation with you, then that's amazing. That's wonderful. Not that it would be easy to do, but so much healing can take place in those situations where both parties are willing to acknowledge what happened, 
to tell the story of what happened, to listen to one another, and to just vomit out all that pain and all that bitterness and let there be change. Let there be something different moving forward and let healing happen. But more often than not, what you have is a situation where the other person involved um, is either deceased or they refuse to acknowledge anything that they did or they just totally see it a different way than you do. They do not see it the way you do at all. So the question would become, well, does that negate your view? If the other person sees it very differently, does that mean how you see it is negated? The answer is no. Everyone has a right to their own view. You may not like the view that the other person has. You may not agree with it at all. Well, you don't have to, but they have a right to it. Fortunately, you don't have to worry about managing their head. You just have to worry about managing your own. <laughs> so one way is to write a letter to that individual. If, if whatever you're avoiding is not simply one of your own issues, but it involves someone else, then you can write a letter to that person. Uh, you can just take it into your therapist and read it out loud in the therapy session. But that enables you to sit and kind of process your thoughts and feelings about the interaction that you'd had with that person. Um, depending on the nature of what happened, you might want to sit down and do it all in one sitting, just kind of vomit it out all at once. But some people, because of what happened to them, they cannot do that. They cannot tolerate that level of pain all at once. And so they can write the letter in pieces as much as they can stand. Because when you're writing this letter, it's not about, you know, having some kind of neat and tidy, I don't know, example of English competence that you're going to turn into a teacher to be graded. It's not about that at all. It's about your honest, authentic feelings, which, by the way, if you've been avoiding for quite some time, it might take a minute for your emotions to feel safe coming to the surface. And you have to give yourself acceptance to whatever starts bubbling up, you let it. You might not like what bubbles up. You might not like your thoughts. You might not like your feelings. That's okay. Just accept them. And you can write them in a letter that you will then process by reading out loud either to yourself or going into a therapist's office and reading it with your therapist. Another way of, of facing things that have previously been avoided is what's called empty chair. I'm a huge fan of the empty chair technique. I've done it myself and taken many patients through it. It's basically where you place the person in question in an empty chair, mentally. You place them there mentally. And you imagine what they look like, how they're sitting, what their posture is, what they're wearing, what their facial expression might look like, whether or not they're wearing a hat, what their hair looks like, Imagine all of that. Pull as many details as you can. And then begin talking to the person. And I would recommend that if you decide to try this particular coping strategy, this protocol, 
that you would do it where you have privacy so that if by chance you end up crying or screaming or whatever, that nobody comes running into the room thinking something's gone wrong. And also give yourself plenty of time. You don't want to begin this and then feel like you have to hurry up because you have to be somewhere. That's not going to work very well. Now, I will, I will let you know, I'll tell you something I tell my patients, is that the first minute or two that you do empty chair, you will feel awkward, more than likely. You're going to think, okay, this is so stupid. I'm sitting here talking to an empty chair. Um, that's okay. That's perfectly normal to feel that the first minute or two. The thing is you have to commit. You have to decide, I'm going to do this. And you imagine your person sitting there and you just keep talking. Just keep talking. And it's, it's impossible to do it wrong, so don't worry about that. The only thing to keep in mind, and it is strongly recommended, that you accept and allow whatever feelings begin to dislodge from, we'll call it the cellar of your soul, so to say, and start bubbling to the surface whatever they are, and more than likely they will be irrational because feelings are notoriously irrational. Your job is to accept them, whatever comes bubbling up, and you express it to that person, and you take as long as you need to. If you don't cry, that's fine. If you sob yourself after death, that's fine too. If you get really angry and you start screaming, that's fine too, you know, the, the point is to, instead of avoiding the pink elephant, what we're doing now is metaphorically sort of going around it and addressing it, looking at all the pieces, parts, touching it all over the place, not, not being scared of anything. Um, sometimes people have to do that in, in segments as well, depending on the nature of what it is that they're talking about. A lot of times when people are avoiding something, well, almost all the time it involves another person. And so some of these things that people are avoiding, they're avoiding how they feel about what the other person said or did to them. And sometimes these things that they're avoiding are their own thoughts and feelings about was a trauma that was extremely painful. And so their mind has shuttled that memory and all those corresponding feelings and thoughts down into a compartment, sort of in the basement of their soul. And sometimes people aren't even aware that it's there for years and years and years. And then sometimes a person might get triggered by something. For example, if a woman had been uh, raped, sexually molested, when she was um, seven years old and was it, it wasn't dealt with in a healthy way. She possibly didn't even tell anybody about it or she might have told somebody and wasn't believed. And so she did the best thing that she could. Her mind just kind of packed it up and shoved it down into the cellar, into the basement. And then she wasn't aware of it for a long time until she got married and then had a daughter. And her daughter turned seven. 
And all of a sudden, she's having horrible nightmares about a trauma. And she's having a sneaking, horrible suspicion that it's not just a nightmare. And so that's when someone like that would need to get into therapy and have a therapist come alongside her and encourage her and support her as she began to feel and face her feelings and her emotions and her thoughts of the trauma rather than avoiding. Sometimes when people are in this situation because the emotions are so painful that they will begin to abuse substances because they're just in so much pain and they don't know what to do with it. So they might begin drinking or they might begin taking pills. That's usually the most common thing people do. Other things, the other addictive things aren't quite as common, but those, those are generally the go-to for people that have a whole lot of pain that they don't really know what to do with and they don't want to feel it and they're just hoping it'll go away. And like I said, that'd be super duper if we could just ignore it long enough and it just would evaporate. But I haven't run into a situation where that's the case. So if this person wants to begin to actually face these things, then the use of the substances would need to decrease and going to a therapist and going to the core. Because like I said, you know, at the beginning of this episode, uh, abusing substances and that type of thing is more often than not a symptom, not a cause. In this particular example, the cause would have been the original trauma. And then the triggering of that, the remembering of it, the pain that that was causing, then that in turn, the drinking would be a symptom of that, of have, having to try, trying to deal with that pain. Now, if someone decides, you know, I just can't, I can't face it. I'm just going to continue to just drink and take my pills and I'd rather do that than have to face this and feel all this. Well, that's certainly an option. It's not a healthy one. And what generally happens is the person will end up not only with still will they have the pain from the original trauma sitting inside of them, but they will also deal with all of the nasty side effects and repercussions of abusing a substance, which our, our body is designed to habituate to chemicals and such things that we introduce, um, whatever it is. Our body will get used to it. It, de- it develops a tolerance, which means that you will have to then use more and drink more to reach the same level of numbness. And the more that the more the abuse happens, then the more money is spent, the more time is spent, the more it ends up messing up the person's ability to function as an employee, as a daughter, as a mother, as a son, as a father. It just goes on and on. And then they start, then their their marriages start breaking up, they start losing their jobs. And so then they have all of that on top of the original trauma. The original trauma didn't go anywhere. That pain didn't go anywhere, but now they have all this other stuff on top of it. So that's not a good choice. Um, Understandable, but not a wise choice. As something else that happens when people push things down 
and won't face them is they start having a lot of physical issues. And because we're talking about fear and anxiety as well, um, which I covered some in the last episode, when people have long-term uh, anxiety and, and fear and where they're, when they're holding stuff down, their bodies are going to respond. Their bodies know that something's off, that something's wrong, that something's not healthy here. And so you will frequently hear of um, things like uh, irritable bowel syndrome, ulcerative colitis, GERD, uh, which is a gastroesophageal reflux disease, uh, high blood pressure, migraine headaches, you know, these types of things that start to develop because the body is saying, there's stuff in here that's not supposed to be in here. This is not okay. We're on overload. And the body can't handle it. And so then the person still has all the original trauma and all the original pain plus all of this other physical stuff, which they in turn have to take medicine for, have to have untold amounts of procedures to deal with, um, surgeries. It just goes on and on and on. So it just seems to me that it would be much easier to just deal with the original trauma. I know that's not, I mean, I say easier. It's not easy to do, but it's easier than adding all of this other stuff on top of it. Something else that happens if somebody wants to just keep all this down in the cellar of their soul for a long time, you know, they, like I said earlier about the emotional pie, they don't have, if you think about it, it's, it's like if you're in a pool and you're holding, you know those like plastic balls that people play water volleyball with? So imagine that you have several of those and that you're holding them under the water. Now, if you have just one ball and you're trying to hold it under the water, that's bad enough. If, if somebody says, hey, come on over here, play water volleyball with us, and you're trying to do that, but at the same time, you're trying to hold another ball under the water, you're not going to be able to play water volleyball very effectively because a part of your body, a part of your attention, a part of your muscles are trying to hold that other ball under the water. Now, imagine if you had two or three or four, you would be rendered virtually incapacitated to do anything worthwhile but hold those balls under the water. And that's kind of what happens when we have things that we just refuse to face. We are allocating more and more and more of our emotional pie, more and more of our emotional energy toward keeping these things in the cellar, keeping them down under the surface. And so naturally, we don't have the memory or the concentration to give other things. And so more, usually your performance at work um, takes a hit your interpersonal relationships usually take a hit. And that's, that's not even talking about the role of substance abuse and all of this too. Something else that happens is that we sometimes become emotionally numb because you can't just take certain feelings and lock them down, like you know fear or anxiety or whatever. You just can't take those and make them go away. It's like all or nothing. So people end up just becoming very emotionally numb. They just don't feel much of anything. 
uh, when those people in, end up coming in my office, they, they can sit in a chair and tell me very calmly the most horrific stories you've heard, but there's no emotion. It's just not there. They've numbed out. They've just buried it down. And then we've also talked about the physical side effects from all of the avoidance. So basically, you know, at the end of the day, after having said all of this and kind of what happens and what the dynamics are, yes, it's hard to face the pink elephants in the room, but they are there. So you might as well get up, turn around, look at it, walk up to it, touch the side of it, get to know it. If you're scared to death to do that, which sometimes that makes perfect sense, then get some help. Maybe go to a therapist or have a friend or someone or a family member help you to do this. Maybe you can tell them your story. That There's a healing that takes place just in the telling of your story and having it heard. But you have to be careful who you tell it to. I haven't done an episode on safe people yet, but that's probably going to come in the future. If you're going to tell a story like this to someone, make sure you're telling it to a mature, healthy person. It, it wouldn't be a good idea to be telling the story to someone who's just going to turn around and make you feel bad about it or judge you or criticize you or, or whatever. Um, therapists are always, you know, they're good to go to. Uh, therapy is, is, of course, I know since I'm a therapist, I'm so biased, but it's, it's a wonderful place to go. It's not judgmental. You should never be judged in therapy. It's confidential. Nobody's ever going to know what you say in there except for, you know, certain legal situations that can arise from time to time. But that's, you know, your therapist will talk to you about those situations. And they're very rare, actually, that that happens. Just taking the blinders off and looking over there, looking at the pink elephant, stop avoiding, face what's in front of you, face what's inside of you, let it come up, process it. That will be a good decision and much healthier for you in the end. If you have enjoyed this episode or benefited from it in any way, then I'm so glad. And I would hope that you would share it with your friends and family. Um, however you choose to do that. Some people like to do it through their social media platforms. So I would strongly encourage you to do that. If you have any uh, questions, uh, comments, if you have a particular episode that you would like to hear me, uh, like a topic that you want me to hear to do an episode on, then you can just go to phoenixandflame.com and there's a contact me uh, page there where it will come through my email. So I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And again, this is Dana on Phoenix and Flame.